Okay, Ephesians 5. I'm going to have to move these or I'm going to be knocking them over. Thank you, sir. Y'all awake? All right. Apparently, getting a doctor's degree makes you dumber. Because yesterday I was doing an ordination yesterday morning. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> so, obviously it does make you dumber. I'm doing an ordination yesterday morning for Austin and and in the middle of the ordination, no one told me this till I finished speaking. But I was referencing Francis Chan, noted Christian speaker, and instead I said Jackie Chan. So <laughs> apparently uh, getting a PhD really does make you dumber. So there you go. Now, gentlemen... Here's what we're going to look at what the Bible says to us. Now, we looked at one part, Ephesians 5, where he says we're to love our wives, not in philia, not in how we feel. We should feel good about them. That's on them and how they treat us as they're feeling about us is on how we treat them. But agape, the word he uses here, is the idea that I look at the value of my wife first to Jesus, then to me, and as a basis of that, I get up every morning and I choose to love her. Now, so our, the root of our love is not a feeling-based, but a choice-based. It is volitional, not feeling. Now, he's going to go from there and tell us what to do. Now, gentlemen, if you're going to stand under Christ, this is how you have to live. And ladies, for those of you that are not married... You don't pick a man unless he does this to you while you're dating. Because he's not going to change after you marry. This is the women going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so listen, Ephesians 5, verse 25, here we go. Men, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In order that he might sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of water in word, in order that he might present to himself in glory the church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and blameless. Now, gentlemen, first thing he says is you're going to love your wife in the exact same way, and this is pivotal that you understand this, in the exact same way that Jesus Christ loved the church. And then, in fact, that he gave himself up. We saw that in Gethsemane. I remember watching the Shawshank Redemption on TV. We didn't see it in the movies, but watching it on TV, there's kind of the climax scene where the guy that's been a prisoner for a number of years who really is innocent I don't remember the exact statement, but that he crawls through this foul sewage junk to get out 
And then when he gets out, the rain hits him and he's washed clean. It's a great picture, actually, a great metaphor of what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't crawl through sewage, he drank it. Literally, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says he became the sewage that we have made. So when he sits in Gethsemane and he says, Father, if there's any other way to go, I really don't want to go. And that makes great sense because he knows what he's about to drink. He knows the foulness and the stench that he's about to drink for six hours as the only way to get us back. And so he says to the Father, is there any other deal we can make? And heaven is dead silent. So what does he say? Not my will, but yours. So what Jesus does is he gives himself up, he says, for us. He gave himself up so that you and I, now listen, so that you and I could be made holy, not happy. Happiness follows holiness. Happiness is not the cause of holiness. Holiness is the cause of happiness. So he didn't die to make us happy, died to make us holy, to bring us back into a relationship with the Father. So he says to us as men, right after he says to the ladies, you're to live in submission to your husband. So as a man from a biblical standpoint, I do have the final say, but that final say is that I give myself up for my wife. It is not my desires that rule the home. It is the desires of Jesus that rule my house, not mine. Now, so it means your heart, your wife's heart and the heartbeat of Jesus are what drive your decision-making. Now, most of the time, we can compromise in a marriage. There are times where you can't. Now, there are times as a husband, you're going to say no to your wife. You make $45,000 a year and she wants a Lamborghini. You're going to say no. If she doesn't like you being gone sometimes and you need some other men in your life to sharpen you, you're going to have to look at her and say, I've got to go here because these men sharpen my life. And so time away from you is beneficial to who I am for you and with you and to you. So there are times where my wife's heartbeat doesn't drive, but if everything is equal, then I choose Jesus' passion for the home and my wife's desire for the home. You have the final say, but it's not on when you like or don't like. It's on her and her Lord. Now, why? If I'm the head of the home, am I not allowed to do, say, what I want to do or say? I'm the head of the home. Because, listen, you men love your wives. Christ loved the church, gave himself up. Now listen, in order that he might make her holy. That's the whole premise. That he might present to himself in glory, the church, no spot, no wrinkle, holy and blameless. Gentlemen, Your job as a husband is to bring holiness into your home. That's your calling. 
Jesus gave himself up to bring holiness to our lives. Your job as men is to bring holiness to your wife and into your home. Not to bring happiness, it's to bring holiness. Now, happiness will come, and I'll show you that in just a minute. But understand that your first priority is that you're to deepen your wife and you're to bring holiness into your relationship. Now, I understand that for some of you guys, this is a tremendous struggle because you make a good living, your wife's a stay-at-home mom, the kids are in school, and she's in all sorts of Bible studies that you have not the time for, and she does. And so you may have a wife that knows a whole lot more Bible than you, and sometimes for a guy... It's intimidating, and he kind of takes a position. You know, she knows more Bible than I do. I really can't lead her or bring this kind of holiness in here. She knows more than I do. That's that's not the case. I know more Bible than my wife does. But I remember, and I'm pretty precise when it comes to my theology and how I phrase things. And so early on in our marriage, my wife would say something, and I'd go, well, yeah, but this is what you need to say. Yeah, but this is what you need to think. And finally, I remember how long we'd been married. My wife came up to me one day, and she said, I'd gone on one of my rants. She said, you know, God spoke to me yesterday and said I was supposed to listen to him, not you. (laughs) Pondered that for a moment. Couldn't find anything unsound about that theology. Decided that was extremely wise on her part and so sort of altered my direction there. So having more Bible knowledge doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be the right leader or anything else. It's not based on your Bible knowledge. He says, you give yourself up to bring holiness. There's nothing in here about you teaching your wife Scripture. It's about you living the Scripture in front of her. You say, well, what does that mean? doesn't mean necessarily a bunch of rules now there is one rule that's not in the bible that's true the remote control belongs to the man (laughs) just want to get that out with a bible in my hand in the pulpit one of the last things i'm sharing with you that is of god so so other than that rule it's not about a bunch of rules but here's what it is about I'm not going to read everything, but I think you can get an idea. In 1 Timothy 3, he offers the the qualifications, the character of an overseer, someone on staff, someone pastoring, someone leading. He gives the qualifications. You say, well, those are yours. No, those are yours because the only overseers come out of the church. So if men ignore this and don't decide to be holy, there are no elders. There are no overseers. There is no such thing as a pastor. So... This is what it means to be holy, gentlemen. Not a bunch of rules, but listen. He says, you need to be without reproach. Gentlemen, what that means is, she's going to see you fail. As a matter of fact, your wife 
is going to know your failures better than anybody else in the universe. She's going to see them daily. There needs to be, though, we've talked about this before, you were walking towards Satan, now you're walking toward Jesus. You're going to step off the road periodically and fail, but you need to get back on it quickly when the Holy Spirit convicts you, make your apology and continue to walk. And if there's a consistency in the direction of your walk so that these moments where you step aside that are fixed and corrected, she sees that consistency overwhelms those failures, you will be to her without reproach. It's not a matter of you not sinning. You're going to do some brain-dead things, but when you do them, you step back, you get on the road so that the consistency of your holiness overwhelms the moments that should be episodic that you fail. Here's the Greek. A man that belongs to one woman. A gentleman. You're going to have relationships with other women. I get all that. I work with ladies on staff. I get all that. But your wife's got to know that the deepest portions of your soul are hers and hers alone. And that the only woman that you look at is her. And that the only woman you desire physical intimacy with is her. She has got to know that. You are, according to the scripture, a man that belongs to one woman. Your wife has to know that. She has to feel that. She has to understand that. You're to be sober-minded. Sound mind. There shouldn't be anything when you make these moments where you step aside and fail, the reason you step back on the, on the trail and keep walking toward Jesus and set that aside is because these things don't control you. There shouldn't be anything in control of your life except Jesus Christ. That's all. The Holy Spirit should run you, and she should know those days when you quench the Spirit and you step aside that the Spirit immediately convicts you, you immediately get back on the trail, you're immediately walking back. So these moments where you fail are not a sign of control of anything, but a moment where you stepped away and you come back because these things don't control you. If you're going to bring holiness in your home, your wife has got to be able to see that you walk in the Spirit and with Jesus Christ. You may not know all the Bible your wife knows, but you can walk in the Spirit no matter how much Bible you know or don't know. Then he talks about not being drunk. Now guys, again, we've talked about this. I don't think the Bible teaches that you can't drink. I do think when you have the verse in Proverbs that says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived by there is not wise, I think that's enough for me that what I think the Bible does teach is I can drink, but I need to be afraid of it. Gentlemen, you need to fear it. I have never, in 42 years of pastoring, I have never walked into a home where they opened up the doors in the liquor cabinet and said, man, this has made us a better place. But I've walked into a ton of homes where people have opened those doors and said, this has killed our home. 
Again, Bible doesn't say you can't drink. Gentlemen, you're the head of the home. And you're going to bring holiness in your home. And the way you bring holiness is to make sure whatever you allow in there never controls the environment. I don't drink for a couple of reasons. When my kids were coming up, I didn't want them to see me drinking because I knew it would authorize their alcohol use. And they told me years later, if you had done it, we would have done it. There are people in this church who struggle. So I don't drink because I want them not, I don't want to be a part that enhances their struggle. I want to be a part that enhances their victory. And if it means I don't drink until we have a non-struggling congregation, I'm good with that. And then I know I have my own addictive personality. I've said this before, if I have a bowl of bluebell tonight at 9, tomorrow night at 8.30, I will crave that bowl of bluebell. And so to keep from rolling off the stage when I was walking through at graduation, I've stayed away from ice cream. Now, so gentlemen, you're going to bring holiness in your home. If you drink, that's fine. But you make real sure that your children are protected, your wife's protected, and your home is protected. Then he talks about raising the children. I'm going to say this a million times till I die. Because I'm amazed that parents don't, just don't get it. I don't care if your kids play sports. I don't care if they play a little league. I don't care what they do, but understand something. The only institution God said the gates of hell can't, con can't conquer is his house, not little league. If you wrap your children around Little League and that's the basis of all they are, they will be conquered by the enemy because that's a conquerable thing. But if you raise them in the church, in God's house, under his Bible, in Jesus, they cannot be conquered. And you, gentlemen, are to take that lead. And you're to pull your wife in the situation. We're going to let our kids play sports, that's fine. But they're going to understand if we're out of town... We're going to church. I have a guy in this church. I won't say who he is. He was telling me they went to an out-of-town game. Son's playing a little league. Game started at a particular time. They found a church, the worship service. Part of it was going to cover the time. He looked at his son, told the coach, we'll, we'll come when church is over. They go to church. He gets back there at the second inning. Coach made him sit to the fourth inning. Father said, I don't care. My son will understand that even out of town, no matter how good he is, Jesus is more important than throwing a baseball. Well, gentlemen, that's your responsibility. And then he says, you need to be somebody that's honored by those outside the walls of the church. Now, that's an interesting statement that he makes to Timothy because Timothy, legend has it, that those outside the church are going to kill him. But the way Timothy died was there was a pagan funeral procession blowing through Ephesus, and then he jumped out in front of it and talked about Christ and that they killed him there. They didn't like Christians in the first century, so it's interesting to me that he says you need to have a good reputation outside the walls. Now, how do you have a good reputation when people hate what you believe because they may hate what you believe but they can't ever hate 
what you are. That is exactly what won the Roman Empire. They began to realize these Christians work hard, they're friendly, they're loving, they're responsible, they stay inside their homes, they built great reputations, and even though we hate them, they are not anything but a blessing to the community. Your wife's got to know. When she walks outside, people may hate her husband because who he is in Jesus, but they will never hate her husband because how he acts in public. Gentlemen, you are to bring holiness into your home. That creates happiness. Why? When your wife knows you're not controlled by anything, you don't allow anything in the home that would be dangerous to overcome. She watches your life and there's more consistency than inconsistency. You have desire to raise your children in the Christ she loves. And then when she goes out the doors and people talk about you, they may hate who you are in Christ, but they don't hate what you are. You know what that does for her? It makes her safe in her home. And there is joy in the heart of any wife who feels safe with the man she's taken the name of and given her life to. The two worst movies ever made. Still Magnolias in the Notebook. No point in wasting money going to the Steel Magnolias. If you'll just go sit in a woman's hair salon for three hours, you have Steel Magnolias. Then there's a notebook. Uh, unbelievably horrible. Guy and this girl have this torrid love affair. You get to the end, she has Alzheimer's. He's got a notebook that he's reading to her and it brings her out for about 10 seconds and then she goes back in so she never really knows who he is. I'm sorry, but that, that, I, no. And then they die together. I hope I didn't wreck the ending for you, but that's what happened. <laughs> now, the curious thing about that goofy movie is they surveyed to see who liked it the most. And it was interesting. You know who liked it the most? Junior high girls. If they like anything, there's something right there you need to pay attention to. Because they're all over the map. But they loved the movie because they said they wanted a man who would love them all the way to the end. Gentlemen, you bring holiness into your home as you give yourself up for your wife. And there will be a joy in her if you do that all the way to the end. Her holiness, her safety, and her home are on you under Christ. Father, thank you for your word. It's really clear. It's not hard to understand. 
So I ask you real simply for any men in here that their passion is not your holiness in their home. I just real simply ask you to speak to them, awaken them to who you are and who you need to be in their home. So when they leave today, they're not the same as when they came in. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed if you've never met Jesus. It's a good day to find him. If you do know him, God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. We want you to come. Staff's here. If you need to just come down and kneel and pray. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come.